Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 13. word of God teaches that we ought to be generous on every occasion. And that's what the legacy offering is all about. It's resourcing our church family with the ability to respond to crisis and strategic opportunity with generosity. Friends, we get one shot at this. God's asked us to build his kingdom in Denver. And we have such a brief time here. With our lap around the track, if we're gonna build, let's build to last. I invite you to join together with us on November 23rd and 24th for the Legacy Offering. And let's build in a way that leaves a legacy for the kingdom of God in Denver and to the farthest reaches of planet Earth. So what would you do if I told you that buried in one of the cardboard boxes sitting around the auditorium, there's a $50 bill, yours to keep? Okay, to be less subtle, (laughs) buried in one of the boxes sitting around the auditorium, in fact, is (laughs) a $50 bill. Which is yours to keep. <laughs> so there's like the, the whole of... There it is. All right. Is that Isabel? Nicely done. So there, there is like on display here the full spectrum. It took the first service like five times as long. Which What does that say about the personality of the services? They were like pulling the the peanuts out one at a time. Like, I only have 30 minutes. You got to do this a little faster. But there is, between the personality of the first and second services, a, a, a demonstration of the spectrum of humanity. Because there is inside each of us both a proprietress, your grandmother, who like put on her makeup on Christmas morning and then very demurely slit along the, the, the seam with the tape, took the present out and then folded the paper up and set it aside. But there's also a little child who rips the stuff off with abandon and disregard for propriety and form. This service more closely resembled the latter. <laughs> right? If I, I think honestly, if I were told that, I'd be like, yeah, is that for real? Is this a trick? Do I want to like rifle through a box? And, but then I, I think the inner me 
would just dump the thing upside down because it's free money. Like, who doesn't need that, right? And in that continuum is the existence of every human soul. But I would argue that there is wired and maybe buried down deep in the soul of every one of us, some part of us from God that is in search of something greater. And that's our subject this morning. We're continuing through the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, zooming in on this one pivotal chapter because Jesus began his ministry saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is near. And continued teaching, the kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of heaven, that's the paradigm through which God is revealing his purposes and his work on the earth through humankind. And by the end of year one of his ministry, his followers had to have been asking, what is this kingdom of heaven you're talking about? What do you mean when you keep saying that? And so as if in response to those questions and those of us as well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 turns the teaching of his parables to that particular question. Now parables are simple stories Jesus often relies on to communicate a singular truth. These are the simplest of the parables. They're like two-bite parables, right? And they make one simple point, six of them in rapid succession, all in Matthew chapter 13, called similitudes by scholars because they're literally similes. They're not metaphors that liken the kingdom in total to one thing. They're similes. They say the kingdom from one point of view is like this. Another dimension of the kingdom is like that. And Jesus each time refers to something in their daily life with which his hearers in the first century would have been intimately familiar. Now, it takes a little unpacking for us because most of us don't plant seeds and harvest farms and things like that. Jesus continues in this rapid-fire succession, likening the kingdom to something else. In verse 44, the kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again. And sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And Jesus here suggests that there is something of such transcendent value as that that's buried in the ground right beneath our feet. All the while with our little knowing it. And lays as a a sort of cornerstone for our understanding of the kingdom this foundation. The kingdom is right under our noses, present and not yet known. The kingdom can be both present and not yet known. Buried in a field beneath our feet. Buried in a box next to us all throughout the time of singing and listening to announcements. It's just been sitting there. That's how the kingdom of heaven is in this one perspective. Theologian Donald Hagner observed this, this analogy of the treasure in the field, like the rehiding of the treasure by the person who found it, suggests the kingdom can, listen, be present and not yet perceived. Can be present and not yet perceived. Because its present form does not overwhelm the world or overcome resistance. The people of Israel, like maybe the people of Denver today, were expecting some razzmatazz to accompany the kingdom of God in its arrival. They wanted a Messiah who was going to vanquish their oppressor and establish a different political and military order, perhaps. But the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure buried right under our feet, little knowing it's there, hidden, present, and not yet known. 
so in this first example, the kingdom is like the treasure. And in Luke 17, Jesus offers another perspective on this truth. One day, Scripture teaches the Pharisees asked him, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not going to be detected by visible signs. It doesn't come, another translation reads, by your careful observation. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. The operative word here, among in Greek, is entos. And this is one of the more crucial words to understand because this is one of the more complex and um, controversial of Jesus' teachings. Entos is one Greek word that is translated with two different English words about 50% of the time in the New Testament. And so it creates a built-in controversy. About half the time, scholars find and agree on it meaning in the midst of. Here it's given among. And then the other half of the time, roughly, it is within. And you see some modern translations, perhaps the one you read, that teaches Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is within you. And so has arisen a debate over centuries among scholars as to what Jesus meant here and which usage of this Greek word he intended. But knowing that people would be reading his words in multiple languages, I think it's unlikely that Jesus allowed that confusion, but rather invited the tension. Because I think it's not an either or, but a both end. We get two different contours, dimensions of meaning, like two sides of the same coin with regard to the kingdom of heaven. Here, in this first parable, Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom is entos you. It's amidst you. It's among you. It's already here. This is one of the great and transcendent truths of the kingdom of God that we learn as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. The kingdom is once and future. It's now and later. It's present and yet to come. And this dual dynamic characterizes his kingdom. The gospel I learned growing up was like this. Hey, good news, repent everybody, because one day if you do, you'll get to go to heaven. And while that's half true, Jesus' gospel was different. Jesus preached this gospel. Hey, everyone, good news, repent, because the kingdom of heaven, it's coming here, now, starting here in this moment, in our day. And it's entos you, it's among you, it's under your noses, present and yet, not yet, and yet not discovered. It's buried like a treasure right beneath your feet. That's one important piece of understanding about the work of God on earth. N.T. Wright put it this way, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from heaven to earth, but listen, to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it's there then, but he said, pray and believe that God's doing it in little bits and spurts here and now. And so this ties together with last week's dimension of the kingdom. It's like a mustard seed, something tiny that grows to be huge. The kingdom of heaven is among you in small part and will be all around you and subsume everything you know in large part. That's how the kingdom comes. In verse 45, Jesus continues with a companion parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. 
when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Often this is taken to be redundant. I confess over years I've read these two as one and thought they're making the same point. It's like Jesus saying, verily, verily, this and again this. And ostensibly they are quite alike. But notice this, in the first of these two that we're looking at this morning, the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure that's buried underneath the field. That's like in toast, in your midst, right? And in the second companion, the kingdom of heaven is not like the treasure, but it's like, now there is a treasure, there's a pearl, but the kingdom of heaven is like what? The merchant who's on the lookout for choice pearls. And it strikes me as interesting that a pearl merchant, though I know little about these things, is likely to own quite a few pearls already. Right? It's not like he's like, I, I, I'm a pearl merchant. I need a pearl to sell. I mean, you wouldn't be a very good pearl merchant. Right? He's got a storeroom full of them. And even so, having found a whole bunch of pearls, he's on the lookout. His senses are trained. He's tuned in. He's honed and ready, looking for that one pearl of surpassing transcendent worth. The choice pearl among them. And the kingdom of heaven in this regard is like that merchant. And what that says to me is we're wired, pre-programmed to search out something that is surpassing, something that is of greater value, something choice. See, the kingdom of heaven is what? Entos you. It's, it's among you. It's in your midst. Yes, and that's the first of these two. The kingdom of heaven is also what? Within you. See, there is inside of you a little pearl merchant that's made in the image of God. There is a heaven spark. Did you know you're made in God's image? You're no mere mortal stuff. You didn't start here. You are eternity in bodily form. You are redeemed to be a daughter and a son of the king. And so there is in you a little slice of heaven. There is, as it were, a little pearl merchant in you that came into the world right under your consciousness, pre-programmed to search out something that is of greater value. To look for the transcendent, the choice. You're made for shinier stuff than what this world can provide. Friends, your heart is a homing beacon for heaven. Your heart is a little bit of heaven. Subconscious until we meet Jesus and discover our true nature. But your heart is wired for eternity. The Word of God teaches He has placed eternity in the hearts of man. And so your heart is a homing beacon searching for heaven on earth. And so the world is never going to be able to satisfy you. The world does not have that power. Only heaven fulfills what your heart is made to seek. And that's why it's no wonder people in this world are constantly searching and can't find what they're looking for. And when we find something fulfilling and when we find something that seems to give us pleasure, it lasts for a moment and only leaves us wanting more. We try to fill the hole in our hearts and we realize that the stuff we jam in there really at the end of the day only makes the hole bigger because it lacks the power to fill it. 
You're made for heaven. The Word of God teaches in Philippians 3, they're from this world, but not you. Your citizenship is in heaven. And eagerly, you await a Savior from there named Jesus Christ. You've met him, and having met him, your heart says, give me all of it. Give me who I am. Give me what I'm made for. And the world cannot compete. It never will. Eagerly, your soul longs for the stuff for which it's made. It longs for its home. Truly, St. Augustine wrote hundreds of years ago in Confessions, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. So this merchant to whom Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven. He was on the lookout for a choice pearl, and it says, when he found it, he sold everything he owned and bought it. He went all in. And friends, like LeBron James is born to play basketball and Michael Jackson was born to dance, you are born to find the choice thing and go all in. That's what you're made for. That's what he who created humanity and defined your existence created you for. You're made to go all in. And so what does the kingdom of heaven mean for us today? It says you're wired to look for the choice thing and when you find it, buy the pearl. Buy the pearl. You're never going to know what it means to be you. We can live this life. We can hedge our bets. We can place a little bit of our worth here and a little bit over there, hoping that one of them will, be, will strike gold in return, but all the while safeguarding our heart from the disappointment that none of them is going to produce anything of worth. The world does that, and that's how we grew up learning to find good and be responsible. But you know what? You're made to go all in. You're made to buy the pearl when you find it, to give everything for that pearl. I love how the guy with the field, he went and sold everything he had, and he bought the whole dumb field. He's like, I'm not going to try and parcel it out and see if I can just get this much. He's bought the whole field. So you're made to go all in. Jesus said it this way. To his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. Not one of his hearers would have been unaware of the stark, gruesome, dire, unthinkable ask Jesus made. In first century Roman Palestine, to take up your cross was to carry out an elongated public humiliation, torture, execution. To put yourself to death and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, if you try to play the field, hedge your bets, you're going to lose it. It has a way of slipping right through our fingers. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. See, that's how Jesus can mean what he said. The thief... Our enemy came to kill, to steal, and destroy, to take your inheritance, to blind you from your birthright as a citizen of heaven. But I came that you might have life abundantly, full, rich, overflowing, satisfying life. To find it, we got to go all in. There is a plunge we have to take, and this is what we're made for, and not to take it and to think, I'm going to live with one foot 
in the world and one foot in the church means we don't live with any feet anywhere. And our soul self-defeats and we wonder why we wake up unfulfilled. See, you're made to live with both feet in the world, doing the work God's given you, befriending the neighbors he's put you among, carrying out your influence and passion in front of the watching world that needs the glory of Jesus shining through you. But to live with two feet in the world the way you were designed, you got to live with two feet in the kingdom of heaven. Too long have we tippy-toed around, hedging our bets, thinking that this is the way that we're going to find lasting value. By the pearl, that's what Jesus said. I love the line from the Coldplay song. I'm going to buy a gun and start a war if you can show me something worth fighting for. See, that's what your soul is saying. Show me something to go all in on, and I'm all in. And so the question is, do you trust Jesus? If you have found Jesus and discovered the real, the surpassing, the choice pearl there, then friends, let's not wait. We're made to buy the pearl. So what does that look like? What does it mean practically to buy into God's kingdom work in Denver? What would it mean on a practical level here today to buy the pearl? Well, We were created for family. We were made to belong. And I think belonging is a scary proposition. Perhaps because we've had it thrown back in our faces. Maybe there's a a voice of our dad or our shop teacher from middle school going, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And maybe you've been hurt by a church that really is a bunch of people who are broken and healing just like you. And if that's the case, I'm sorry, but you know what Jesus does? Binds up the brokenhearted. He makes all things new. Even that, you were made to belong. There's room in this family for you. We need who you are, what God's put in you. We want to know you. We want to experience Jesus by how he works in and through you. And so I invite you, go all in, belong. And then I love, have you ever noticed when Pastor Neil leads in service, he says this, he says, we, you know, church is many things. We believe foremost church is a family and families exist. What makes them work is connection and contribution. And if anyone knows what makes a family work, it is that man because he has five children under the age of seven, which is biologically improbable. Like how you make that work, you got to have some things figured out. And I think the point he's, I mean, it is, it it speaks to some things like romance and virility. And it's it's like, we, we applaud you, but, but, but the point, never mind that. Don't think, stop thinking about that. The point is that Neil talks about how families exist when we connect, when we receive the goods, but we also give back, right? What do you call someone in a family who only takes a toddler? Right? And then that's followed by early elementaryhood where we teach them or we were taught, you got to give back. you got to participate. We're not your butlers and, and chauffeurs alone. And so connection and also contribution, belong. And think about where can your gift, how might your talents, your passions, your time and energy benefit the work of the kingdom of God in this house? And to buy the pearl means to invest There's no way around it. To invest your resources. Jesus said very plainly, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I know this is the point in church services where some of us clinch tighter and we're like, money, let's beat the traffic. 
And I get that. I know that money has been talked about in all manner of disrespectful and probably abusive ways in church, and I'm sorry for that. You're like, well, you didn't do it. Maybe not. But I lead in church, and as church leadership has gone, I want you to know that's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus talked about money more than any other subject, and people were drawn to him like a magnet because he was respectful, and he spoke the truth, and he cared about their hearts. And while I care about, and probably tilt the other way, not wanting to aggravate wounds or make church further disingenuous, I care about you too much. I wouldn't be a very good pastor to you if I didn't teach you that there is an incomparable singular value of going all in to that which we value most, our money. Jesus made that clear, right? So what is buying in? What does investing in the kingdom of God look like practically? Well, the scripture teaches that there are two expressions of that. One is the tithe and the other is the offering. The tithe often is convoluted in talking about giving with appreciation for or stimulation toward generosity. Really, the tithe has nothing to do with being generous, with how we feel or a response to anything variable. The tithe is more about obedience to God and a demonstration of faith. Tithe is a word that to some is arcane or religious or confusing or loaded down. All it is is a, a, a transliteration, a, an Englishifying of a Hebrew word that means tenth. And God asked his covenant community from of old to take the first and best, the tenth that is, is the, what he called first fruits of their harvest or their income, and give what he had given to them in full back to him in part, not because God needed the money, but because God wanted their hearts and wanted to be sure that we know that he knows, that he knows that we know, that all of it comes from him. And so trust says, God... My employer isn't my provider, you're my provider. And my want or lack or need does not define my circumstance, you define my circumstance. And so obedience and trust to God, that's what the tithe is about. And then the offering, see, that has to do with a heart of generosity in response to God's goodness in our lives. So that's, a, that's an expression of worship. So the tithe, obedience, and faith. Me demonstrating, putting my money literally where my mouth is and saying, I trust you, God. The offering is me saying, God, you have been so good to me. You have put a roof over my head. We've never missed a meal. My kids are healthy. They love Jesus. You've built this incredible church. I have an amazing wife who shares this calling. What an incredible staff I have the privilege of serving alongside. You're building a city within a city, the embassy of God in a place where church doesn't supposed to grow anymore. You have been so good to me. I want to give myself back to you. Offering is an expression of that gratitude and worship. That's what you heard Mari and, and uh, George talk about, the legacy offering. That's what that is. And at the end of the month, we'll give together all of those of us uh, who are able and willing. Sometimes we have little and we have little to give. Other times we have a lot of excess or plenty stored up and we have much to give. It's our coming together in response to God's faithfulness and His goodness in our lives and worshiping Him at the onset of the holiday season, which has been polluted in our culture to become the season of self-indulgence and consumerism and going into debt. We're going to kick off that season, not by looking to get, but by looking to give and to endow ourselves as a community, as a sort of storehouse, right, with this mutual fund that is 
they're ready and waiting for strategic opportunities to advance the kingdom of God or respond to disaster and meet people with love and practical care at a point of tremendous need. We talked about South High School this morning. Last week, the flooding in Bangladesh and southern India, horrible tragedies. And you and I have had the opportunity en masse to play bigger than any of us or most of us individually could ever imagine and be a part of that redemptive work. And that's an offering. And so to go all in is to take God at his word, to organize my life around this central truth, around this defining reality of the kingdom of heaven. I've had people tell me, you know what, uh, that's great, um, but the way my, my finances work, the way I'm paid, or the way I, I like to contribute is um, through projects. And I think that's awesome. I've got like 17 in my head that I'd love to talk to you about. If that's you, my number is 303-999, truly, 5248. Call me, I'll, I'll give you seven projects from which to choose. And that's great. And other people, have, and, and you know, I mean, in churches of old, when people gave that way, we put plaques on, on it. Like, we'll put a plaque on it, you know? We'll make it like the Van Howe garage if you want. Not that you need, Dan, like a plaque or anything like that. But, you know, there's, these things are for man, not man for the thing. I've had people tell me, well, the, the way that works best for me to give is, is in kind through securities because then I don't, you know, we don't get double taxed and it's more um, better stewardship. Awesome. Somebody told me how that works a few years back and we worked with a financial professional in our congregation and opened a securities account, Charles Schwab, and you can give directly that way. However you do it, see, this isn't for me. I get no commission cut out of it. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I appreciate eating and like keeping the lights on here. And I'm grateful and humbled by the fact of our staff being able to do this with our daytime hours, Monday through Friday, but we're not the work. We're just stewards of the work. We're doorkeepers in the house of God. We facilitate the work. Jesus through you, us, we're the work. This is the kingdom of God. And it happens out there in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces and in your gyms and everywhere you go. The kingdom of God permeates this city through you. So we enjoy and appreciate the privilege of being able to facilitate that. But don't mistake that with how we see ourselves. We're not the point. We're not the big deal. And like Paul said, I'm not looking for a gift from you. But I love how he said this. I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. We give out of obedience. We give out of worship and gratitude. We give because it's faith. We give because he's good. And at the end of the day, Jesus said, we give because it will be given to us. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God. Take the box and dump it upside down. And if you get peanuts in your neighbor's lap, we'll work it out. And all these things will stop mattering to you as much. You won't care about them as much. You'll be okay being poor. That's not what he said. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, they'll be added to you as well. Lose your life and you're going to find it. Jesus desired not poverty and obscurity, but a rich, abundant, prosperous, influential, overflowing life. That's what he created you for. That's what he redeemed you for. You're the sons and daughters of God. Did you know he looks at you and says, you are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. You weren't made to stay hidden. You weren't made to play small. You were made to shine on the stage of the city of Denver in 20. 19 and 2020 and show a world in desperate search of hope where salvation lies.
and what God has in store. This is who you are. So look, I'm not looking to wring more money out of you. God supplies our needs. You're not our provider. He's our provider, just like he is yours. I am, however, inviting you to go all in. There is, whether you want it to be or not, a little merchant in you looking for something choice. There is, whether you recognize it or not, a treasure buried right under your nose, sitting in a box in the seat two or three rows down. And so the question is, once you know, what are you going to do about it? But friends, I like Jesus' way. When you find it, buy the pearl. And everything else is going to be added to you. Good measure, Jesus said. Press down, shaken together so that there's room for more. Overflowing is going to be poured back on you. Did you know somebody shared this with me after service? Oral Roberts used to say, this is the only place God ever said, test me. Test me in this. Put me to the test and see if I don't overflow your house and your barns with blessing. So there it is. Would you stand with me? It's time for us to go. The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus, thank you that you made it so practical and real. Thank you for how you lived everything you taught. That you are a man of complete integrity and so trustworthy. Lord, I'm a man that's not always like that. I'm just broken me. And so, Lord, if anything I say or said is contrary to you, your word, and your work, would you defeat it? Just cause it to fall to the ground. And whatever I said that was from you, would you cause it not to be me but you and cause it to stick in our hearts? Spirit of God, would you enliven it and make it to work its way through us, transforming us from the inside out and do its work. Lord, we want to be the ambassadors, the recipients of your kingdom. Thank you for what starts small here in our midst and in our hearts, grows big and takes over. Thank you for making us sons and daughters of God. Thank you for redeeming our lives and making all things new. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus, your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you all. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information or to submit a prayer request, please go to denverunited.com.